changes how we seek you. So open up our hearts, open up our ears, and allow us to hear your words this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. How is everybody today? Well, it's a good day to be here, isn't it? I'm sure most of you probably wish it was still cloudy and sun wasn't shining. <laughs> no, we've had a lot of rain, haven't we? So it's been good uh, yesterday and today to see the sunshine. I've been thankful for that. Um, this is um, a little bit of a different Sunday. It is, of course, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, but apart from that, um, last Thursday something happened on the church calendar. Does anybody remember what that is? Ascension Day. So this is kind of Ascension Sunday, if you could have such a thing. What will happen in about seven days on the church calendar? Pentecost. So um, this morning I want to talk about um, Jesus, our high priest. <clears throat> That's something that all of us are pretty familiar with. We use that terminology, Jesus is our high priest. But being Gentiles, believers that are Gentiles, a high priest position is not something we're really readily familiar with. Why We don't really need a high priest in the sense that Jews did, but we do need a high priest as Christians. And why do we need that? And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Our beginning passage is going to be in Acts chapter 1, uh, three verses beginning with verse 9. <clears throat> and it has to do with ascension. And uh, so before we begin that passage, let me just ask the Lord to be with us here this morning as we open his word. Father, as we begin our time together, our hearts are turned toward you. But as we were talking about this morning in the Sunday school, we, we're not here just because we want to hear something. We're not here just because we want to hear your word. We're here because we want you to apply your word to our lives. Father, it's your word in us, alive in us, that changes who we are and makes us what you want us to be. And so, Father, this morning, as we uh, begin this time, we ask that you would apply your word to our lives. Make it come alive to us, Father. Help us to see the Lord Jesus in all of his glory. Um, because he is our risen Savior, and we're so thankful for him this morning. We just ask for your help this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, be here in our midst, and have your way accomplish all the Father wants to accomplish today, we ask in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. Sort of jumping into the middle of what has happened here. But it says, and when he, Jesus, had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them, the disciples, in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, 
why, who, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And we have that little glimpse, and it's mentioned a couple times in, past, in the Gospels, of Jesus ascending into heaven. It's a pretty unusual thing for us to see somebody ascend into heaven. How many of you have ever seen that? If you have, I want to know what you were taking. Because that's not something we see very often, is it? You don't see somebody rise, levitate from the earth into the clouds. And yet the disciples saw that, and, and I'm with them. Um, two guys can stand up here next to me and say, why are you gazing up into heaven? I'm going to go, did you see that? That's why we're gazing into heaven. We've never seen that before. We've never seen anybody do what Jesus just did. But the question then comes to me and to others perhaps, when Jesus goes into heaven and he stays there until what is prophesied comes to pass, he comes back, what is he doing? What is Jesus doing? Now all of us would know, well, he's at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding on our behalf, and those are all true. But what does that really mean? And I want to talk about that this morning for a little bit. <clears throat> Jesus is our high priest. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, this is said, But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Well, that's an unusual passage, isn't it? So it says that when Jesus went into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he sits there today expecting that his enemies will be made his footstool. Well, that sounds kind of strange too, doesn't it? Um, there's an, the sense that Jesus is sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and while he's sitting there, he is expecting what has been promised him. See, Jesus today is, in fact, King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the King eternal. That's true. All things are under his authority. That's true in heaven. But it isn't apparent on earth. Amen? Did any of y'all notice that this week? That even, even though Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords, there are things happening that he doesn't like. Bad things, horrible things. By the way, just as a sidebar, we will never fix the problem we see in Texas and in other places by outlawing guns. Now, I'm not, uh, I, I, that's not the point. The point is that guns aren't the issue. Evil is the issue. I mean, people have been killing people with guns ever since we've had guns. But you and I remember when this country, in this country, and no place in the world would you ever have seen somebody kill 20 kids, 19 children. Children. What kind of evil does it take 
to walk into an elementary school and kill children. That never would have happened 50 years ago. Oh, you had guys that would shoot somebody, get in an argument, or you had criminals that would, in the process of a crime, would get into a gunfight with gangsters, gunfight, a massacre in Boston where you had guys out on the street with submachine guns shooting at each other. I mean, that kind of stuff did happen. But nothing like this, even those guys wouldn't have stooped to this kind of horrible evil. They had their own morals, can you imagine? But where is it today? So evil is happening, even though Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of love, and all power has been given unto him, which is what he says. He's not using all that power today. Instead, what he's doing is he's waiting expecting that there will come a day when he will come back and things will be different. It says when he comes back this time that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is who he is. Amen. There won't be any questions about who, who he is then. Every knee will bow. I don't care how much evil's in the world. On that day, they will all cower in fear before the king of kings. They will acknowledge he is king. But until then, Jesus waits expectantly. I want you to get, I want you to get a sense of that happening in heaven this morning. The sense that the Lord Jesus is sitting there watching what's happening. And he's saying, I'm coming again. And this will stop. There'll be no more of this. I'll put an end to it. But what else is he doing this morning? Well, it says that Jesus has taken the position of our high priest we need a high priest in this sense. Did you know this morning that God is still unapproachable in his holiness? God is so holy that none of us could bear, could physically stand to be in his presence. He is so pure and holy, that the very holiness of God in our cancerous state would be the end of us. He's unapproachable. Now, that's always been the case. God had to make concessions for man because man was so separated from him, so full of evil that he couldn't couldn't come into contact with the holy God. And he showed us the way that was so. If you look at Hebrews chapter 12, and listen to these verses. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the difference in the Old Testament between God and the people he called his people, the people of God, the children of Israel. In verse 
verses 18 through 21, Hebrews 12. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. The word spoken to them was so awe-inspiring. They said, please, don't speak to us directly. Have Moses tell us what you want us to know. Do you get a sense of the unapproachableness of God, the other that God is? For they could not endure that which was commanded And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. In the Old Testament, we're told, shown how unapproachable God was. When God delivers the children of Israel from their bondage in Egypt, he uses Moses to lead them out into the wilderness. There he speaks to them through Moses. And when he has something to say, he would call Moses often up to the top of a mountain. And there converse with Moses. And even on those occasions, God hides himself from Moses And when Moses says, let me look on you, let me see your glory, just let me see your glory, God says, it would would kill you if I did that. But I'll let you see the train of my glory. I'll put my hand over you, and as I pass by, I'll let you see the hinder part of my glory, a diminished glory so that it won't harm you. I'll do that for you. Today we live in this society that that treats God like he's our buddy. God help you if you see him that way. Because he's not your buddy. He's the holy God, the creator of all that is, the one who speaks worlds into existence, and he is not your buddy. He's not your grandfather. He's not Santa Claus in the the sky. He's holy. He's unapproachable. Coming into contact with him would would end your life. That's God. God did not make us to have this kind of relationship with him. But we chose to be in opposition to him, and from that moment on, he was unapproachable to us. Prior to that, Adam and Eve, in the cool of the evening, could walk in the garden with God. What have we lost, people? What have we lost? So God saw us in our fallen state and our inability to come into relationship with him, how unapproachable he was because of our sin. And he said, I need to do something to help you understand how hard it is to bridge the gap. 
So in the Old Testament, he set up a system. He says, Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle. You don't know this, but later on I'm going to have a temple. This will be a pattern of the temple to come. So Moses, I want you to build a, a, a synagogue or a tabernacle, a tent, if you will. And I want you to lay it out very specifically. The temple later on that Solomon builds is an image of that same tabernacle. I want you to get the, ins the, the difference, the, how many boundaries there are here. Listen to this. When the tabernacle, later the temple is set up, there are boundaries set up. The old temple has an enclosure around it. And the first boundary was set up to keep the Gentiles from coming any closer. So there's the outer court is called the court of the Gentiles. Closer in is the court of Israel, which was divided into the men's court and the women's court. The women were a little bit farther away than the men are. The next area was the inner court, which was divided into two areas. The holy, I'm sorry, the next was the priest court, where the altar was. The next area was the inner court, which was divided into two areas, the holy place, and finally separated by a veil, the holy of holies. Now, I want you to see the boundaries here. Why are the boundaries existent? Because each one of those boundaries excludes people who aren't conditionally able to come any closer to God than that. The closer you came, the more holy must be your presentation before God. And the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could come in once a year there. And so dangerous was what he had to do. Remember that they put bells on the bottom of his robes? And they tied a rope to his ankle. And if he wasn't prepared to go into the Holy of Holies, they would hear the bells stop tinkling and they would know he'd stop moving. And they would have to pull him out of there because he couldn't get himself out. He'd be dead because he did not meet that requirement. And by the way, his requirement didn't really prepare him. It only made it possible for him to go there because God said, even though you don't measure up, I will make a concession for you. There were boundaries. They were set up to, to show how unapproachable God is. Mark chapter 15 and verse 38 tells us that when Christ died, the veil that cut off all mankind from the presence of God was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. I always like that picture because it seems like God tore it himself from the top down. Amen. He just ripped it like this and said, okay, take care of that. Why? Was he suddenly not unapproachable? Oh, no. God hasn't changed. The God that is unapproachable in the Old Testament is still the God of the New Testament. He's still unapproachable for you and I. There is no way any of us can come to God the Father apart from our high priest. So you see why we need one? 
this is not a Jewish thing. This is a God thing. This is God saying, if you aren't, appro- if you aren't able to come into my presence, you can't do it. You are left without in the darkness and in the lostness of who you are apart from Christ. That's where you are. It's only through Jesus that we can approach him. Somebody ought to say amen. Can you imagine how evil this world would be if there was no Holy Spirit? If there was no way to the Lord Jesus? If we were left bereft of any ability to approach a holy God, how lost we would be for eternity? But God said, no, I have a plan. By the way, the Old Testament, what I've just shared with you, is all who Jesus before he comes. It's a picture of what he's come to fulfill. Amen? Amen. That, that terrible temple that I am, God said, I want to inhabit you. I want you to be a temple. And for that to happen, something has to be changed in you. Now, I want, you to tell, I want to tell you something. I've been born again. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is still the same. And if it weren't for Jesus and his righteousness that makes it possible for the indwelling of God's spirit in me, there'd be no hope for me because this is still cursed. But I have a new creation that I'm able to live in through Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise his name. What a, what a precious, what a precious Savior is Jesus. Jesus wants to be our high priest, and we need one. Because he's our access to the Father. He's the means by which we're able to go past the veil into the Holy of Holies. But we need a high priest that can offer the blood of the sacrifice. Oh, Pastor Mark, you don't understand. We don't have to do that anymore. Oh, really? The, my Bible tells me that without blood, there is no remission of sin. If there is no blood shed and applied to the sin, there's no forgiveness for the sin. We don't like to hear that because it sounds messy. When Jesus died and his blood poured out, it wasn't wasted. We have a high priest who takes the blood at the right hand of the Father and applies that blood, his blood, to you. If that doesn't happen, you have no hope for sin. Why is he sitting at the right hand of the Father? Because He's our high priest, and what he's doing is for everyone who comes to him in faith and says, I need a Savior, I need forgiveness, and there's no hope for me except what Jesus did. And I believe that what he did was for me. Would you please forgive me and let me be accounted one of his? Would you apply the blood of Jesus Christ 
to my sin stain and wash me clean. And when we come to Jesus that way, Jesus applies the blood to our debt load and it's forgiven and washed away and we are never accounted a sinful person again. He applies the blood. We need a high priest that applies the blood. Let me give you some insight there. This is Hebrews chapter 9. By the way, if you want help for yourself, just a, a good refreshing of your understanding, sit down and read Hebrews through in one setting. Hey Amen. I know it's like got more than what, two chapters. Read it all the way through. It's so important for Christians. Chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, like this temple, Paul is, or the writer of Hebrews is saying, neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. By the way, the holy place is not the holy place in the temple this is talking about. The holy place here is the temple in heaven. Amen. There's not a temple there, but there's a holy place. And the holy place is where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And there, what does he do? He enters into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And then go right on into chapter 12, verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, not Sinai, which is the Old Testament picture where they had the darkness and the smoke and the fire and, and animals or nobody could touch. The, no, you've come to Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and, into a, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Abel, remember what Abel did? He offered the first sacrifice of blood. The writer of Hebrews says that better than anything Abel could do, Jesus is now doing at the right hand of the Father, the sprinkling of blood. What is he doing? He's cleansing you from your sin. You need a high priest that can do that for you because you can't do it for yourself. And if he doesn't do it, it won't be done. This sounds so analytical, so wordy. I want to tell you something. I am looking forward to the time when I walk into the Holy of Holies. I'm able to see the Lord Jesus face to face. And I know in full what I see now, Darcy, if you're glad. 
I'm able to know what's really going on. Because right now it is words. There's something that happens in my heart. And I can tell you about the change in my heart. But the truth is I can't tell you how it happened. I don't know. It's a, it's a mystery to me. It's a miracle. Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ, purges my guilty conscience. And I'm able to go out and do what God wants me to do with a clear conscience. By the way, the Old Testament couldn't do that. They'd go in, spill all the blood, sprinkle it everywhere, pour it out here, do that, the other. They would go away assured that they'd been forgiven for their fleshly sins. But how many of you know that their mind still said, I know that didn't take care of it. Because the, what really needed to happen was, I should have died. If my sins were going to, the only way my sins could be paid for is I had to die for them. I'm the one guilty. The animal isn't. When they killed the animal, all that did was Jesus, the Lord God was saying, I'm going to kill the animal, apply his blood as a symbol of what you need. Why do you think they're still looking for Messiah? They think it's because they want a new Jerusalem and a new Israel, a, a world power. No, what they need is a clear conscience. You know, they don't even talk about their sins anymore. Jewish people don't. They don't like to talk about their sins. Why? Because they have no answer for them. They've even stopped the sacrifice. But you and I can have our conscience clean, cleansed, not just flesh, but our conscience clean. How many of you know that? How many? You know, I'm so glad that today I can tell you our Lord, when He saves you, He cleanses you from the inside out. You can, you, can, you can be just so sure that God has forgiven you for everything. Amen? You would get up off, the, from your, off your knees and just feel like you're 10 feet tall. Now, I can't explain that to you. I don't know how it happens. But I'm here to testify it does happen. Amen? <clears throat> we need an eternal high priest. We need an eternal high priest. Well, why do you say that? Well, in the Old Testament, they didn't have eternal high priests. Amen? They had high priests that lived as long as they lived, and then they died. Well, what happened if your priest died? You have to get another one. And if he died, you have to get another one. But we don't have to worry about that anymore. We have one who does it once for all and is forever settled, and he can always come back to say, yes, he did it. I know because I was there. I know whenever he received forgiveness and it's settled. The Old Testament, they didn't have that. They didn't have anything like that. They had priests that died continuously. <clears throat> you say, well, why, that, why is that important? Well, let's look at what Scripture says. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. And I'm going to read through... Um, H, chapter 8, verse 4. So just follow along. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, Jesus, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Now we live in a church world today where things are changing, aren't they? Did you know in God's economy nothing changes? Nothing changes. If you want to praise God, 
You have to praise God in ways that please him. Amen? Not that please me. Praising God means that we come into his presence and we worship him. Why? Because he's forever. He never changes. He doesn't, you can't, did you know you can't bend the ear of God? You can't fool him into believing that you're really worshiping him? He knows, doesn't he? He exists forever. He's an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, in verse 25, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he liveth, or he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, never happened before, harmless, never happened before, undefiled, never happened before, separate from sinners, never happened before, and made higher than the heavens, never happened before, who needeth not daily as that as those high priests, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmities, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the psalm. We have such an high priest who is set at on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the tabernacle which the Lord pitched, and not man, for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. This, and this is verse 5 through 6, who were all unto the who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which is established upon better promises. So we have an eternal priest now. And it's a better priest. And it's a priest that uh, doesn't have any beginning or end after the order of Melchizedek. This is a priest who is eternal. And because he's eternal, because he meets all the criteria for our high priest, an eternal high priest, because he's holy, blameless, undefiled, he's never had a sin problem, he is able forever to take care of our situation. And boy, that's a good news. The last thing I want to mention here is that we need a high priest that intercedes for us. I mentioned that I've been changed from within. I have, I'm a new creation in, in Christ Jesus, but I still live in a fleshly body. That means that this flesh is prone. It's bent in a wrong direction. There is in this flesh the desire to do things I don't want to do in my mind and the things that i want to do in my mind my body wants to do something different is anybody here able to say amen to that i'm going to go so far as to say there are times when this fails am i the only one probably not 
But when we fail, aren't you glad you have somebody to intercede for you? Nope, I'm sorry. I did it for you once. Should have been good enough. You've messed up. You're just out of luck. God could say that. But he knew who you were. He knew me. He knew my proneness to failure. Now, please hear me. I am not excusing failure. Please don't take that away from here. The church is already there. God help us from sinful Christianity. That is not what this is about. This is about, as a matter of fact, if you read past this, it gets plumb scary. If you sin after this, there's no recourse for you. Why? Because you only have one Savior. If you refuse Him, what do you have? Amen? There's nothing, there's nothing else. There's, there's not another answer. So what am I saying? I'm saying that because we have this broken condition, even though we have this new life in it, there is the possibility we'll fail. Please don't take away from that that that's what it's okay to do that because it isn't. I want you to sense this, that when we fail, Jesus looks at us just like he looked at Peter. And he says, with a look, I know you. I know what you're doing. And just like Peter, we should be this responsible. We go out and weep bitterly because we see our failure. Don't make excuses for failure. Jesus died for us. He shed his precious blood for us. That's not cheap grace. That's grace that's intended to make us ready for eternity. And we're, our aim should be what Paul's aim was. This one thing I do, I'm moving toward the mark for the high calling of God. I want to be, a, I want to be captured for why I've been captured. I want to be captured by what I've been captured for. Amen? Do you understand that? But, because of what we are, there's a possibility we'll fail. There's a possibility, and hear this, church, there's a possibility that you could become a Christian and never really move past that. And because of that, you have entered a gate into a new life that you never really begin living. And Christ has come to bring us a new life that's worth living. I want to give you a parable that Jesus gave us. It's found in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it up the ground? Why is it taking up space in my vineyard? 
Anybody here ever felt like that's what you were feeling when you failed? Come on, church. You better, because this is a valid question. Why are you taking up space in the kingdom of God if you're not doing anything? Mm. Isn't that a valid question? But I love the vine dresser's answer, don't you? Let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. Let me give water to it. And then later, if it doesn't yield fruit, we can always take care of that. But let me work with it. That's an intercessor. See, there's always a reason. There's always an end goal for the intercessor in your life. There's always a reason why he is interceding on your behalf. It isn't just to give you a free pass. Amen? That's not his purpose. His purpose is something better for you. He wants you to be more than you are now. He sees your bright future, and he says, that's what I want for him. Wait just a little bit. Let me work with him. Let me get their attention. Let me see if I can't get them to say yes to me, and let's have fruit. We need a high priest. So it's not just a Jewish thing, is it? That's the reason Jesus is our high priest. Because we desperately need him on our side. Without him, even though he died for us, even though he paid the price for us, if he's not at the right hand of the Father taking care of us, we're undone. So every day, we need to thank the Father for giving us a high priest that looks out for us. And I'm thankful that every day he's on the job, amen? Morning, noon, night, in the middle of the night when catastrophe strikes, our high priest is right there on the job and he's willing to step in and give us strength and encouragement and everything we need in order to have a right relationship with God. And I'm going to say this, it's not victory. I want you to hear this. Victory is not something in my life. It's someone in my life. Victory is someone in my life. Because if he doesn't give me his victory, I'll never have it. And neither will any of you. That's our high priest. Aren't you glad you have him? Would you, would you just praise him? Would you just praise Jesus? Would you just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being my high priest. Would you do that? Is he worthy? Church, could you let him just stand up and as a benediction. Let's just, Jesus, thank you. Would you stand up? Come on, stand up. It's not something we do very often, but it's, it's worthy. It, it, is it something he's worthy of? Can't we just lift up holy hands and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for being my high priest. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
I love you, and I appreciate so much what you've done for me, what you are doing for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, you see us. We love you, and we love what you've done for us. Would you bless this congregation and help us to more clearly see ourselves in the light of our Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest, and all he does for us. I pray the Holy Spirit would come and speak to our hearts and, and enlighten us. Give us a new understanding of who we are in Christ. I ask in the name of Jesus, our high priest, and God's people said, Amen. Praise the Lord. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. you call. 